Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is your moment. Your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. No algorithm has ever jammed out to its favorite song, dreamed of starting a band, or watched its favorite movie a hundred times or even watched a single movie for that matter, which is why an algorithm has no business picking the films that you watch. Mubi is a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the world. Each day, they introduce a new hand-picked gem, and you have one month to watch it. Whether it's a forgotten classic, a festival darling, or a groundbreaking masterpiece, every single film is hand-selected by experts. Try Mubi for free. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash words. And you will love this thing. This has changed my life in the most positive way. You get amazing cinema. So, such good stuff. That like, I love movies and it shows me stuff that I'm like, yo, I've never even heard of this. And I watch it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. So please, 30 days for free. Mubi.com, M-U-B-I.com slash words, 30 days for free. All right, now on to the show. Hello, 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 everybody. I'm Ray Harkins and you are listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am so sorry. That we are two days later than what I normally like to release episodes, and that's on Wednesdays. I apologize profusely. Life has just been so busy that uh, I just haven't been able to record these beautiful intros and outros and, you know, edit the show and all that stuff. So I apologize. But um, here we are. And no more apologies. Now we're just here's the show. And the show today is an incredible discussion with a friend of mine, Ryan Downey. He uh, is a man of many talents. He is a journalist and does a lot of stuff for alternative press and uh, a ton of pop culture stuff for you know a wide variety of sites. He also is a manager under the moniker Superhero Management. He manages uh, Dillinger Escape Plan, Demon Hunter, um, and he managed back in the early 2000s bands like Throwdown, Bleeding Through. 
And he also is the vocalist for the mid to late 90s, early 2000s band called Burn It Down. And uh, yeah, he's he's just a friend. He's been a guy that's been in my life for quite some time. And uh, I've always respected the work that he's done. So that's why he's on the show. He's what I like to call a lifer. And he's also a podcaster as well. Does a, a variety of shows. One called uh, No Prize from God. And then uh, there's another one about Metallica called Speak and Destroy, if I am not mistaken. Uh, I haven't listened to that yet because uh, I am not a huge Metallica head. Uh, but for those of you that are interested in that, you can find his stuff on any podcast catcher app that you use um but let, more on him in a moment let's uh, get some business pleasantries out of the way um noecho.net our good partners our web partners they promote the show and i want to tell you that you should visit their website uh because they have a bunch of cool content that is all related to the punk and hardcore side of things whether it's super in-depth interviews or whether it is you know highlight of photographers or record collectors it's just fun stuff so dive in there enjoy the recent content that they have been posting. And uh, yeah, I've also uh, been able to go to some shows recently and was able to uh, see John Carpenter last night, who is the uh, you know legendary movie director. And he also is a crafter of his soundtracks, you know, from Halloween to Assault on Precinct 13. He's just done so much cool stuff. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really cool experience. It's, it's interesting though, like when you're watching someone like him you know, get up there with the band and perform. And, you know, we, as in people who are watching independent bands play on a, you know, semi-regular basis, it's interesting because sometimes you feel like people are, you know, kind of going through the motions and not in a bad way, just like, you know, watching John Carpenter perform, it's very much like, you know, he says, I imagine the same stuff in between every single song. And, you know, sometimes when you watch bands on tour, you feel like they probably say the same stuff time and time again. And uh, I don't know, I, it doesn't bother me per se, but I'm just like, man, I want to feel like I'm living in a moment with you. And uh, I don't know, does that bother any of you that are listening? You can email me 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. But just that sort of, you know, spontaneity and like engaging the audience, like you never know what's going to happen. And I'm not saying that it's like the, uh, you know, performers on stage need to do like crowd work or something like that. But, you know, you want to feel like you're in these moments that aren't, uh, I guess, rehearsed, you know. Um, but yeah, that's no slight against John Carpenter because his show was incredible. But, you know, I could tell that it was like, all right, his, uh, what he says about every song that he, before every song he's going to play is uh, very much a, uh, a thing that he has done before. And I apologize. The, uh, the gardeners are here. <laughs> so if you hear something in the background, that's what you hear. But, um, yeah, what else do I got for you? Well, no, n nothing else. I just want to dive right into it. Like I said, Ryan Downey, man of many talents. And uh, I was very happy to have this discussion with him because we tried a podcast a long time ago and uh, I got about an hour into it. And frankly, we had gotten like nowhere in his life. And so I was like, uh, OK, we'll we'll wrap this up. And we did. And then I sat on it for a while and um, yeah, never released it. But uh, yeah, now we, we, we focused and we nailed it this time. So that's that. And I will talk to you after the show's over. And it was, uh, I think the first time that you and I ever actually officially met, even though we traveled in the same circles, was a, a random dinner at Real Food Daily. And uh, this, the reason it sticks out in my head is because it was just like a group, I don't know, it was like maybe 10 or 15 of us. And I don't even remember, I think it was for someone's birthday, I can't recall. But uh, it was one of those things where I was excited to meet you because I had already been a fan of, you know, Burn It Down and I had loved what you 
did with Superhero Magazine, even though you put out five or six issues of Superhero. I can't recall. Oh, man, I don't remember either, but so, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Somewhere in that neighborhood. I just lo- – I just, I, anyways, I just really – you know, liked what you put out to the world. And I was like, oh, dude, that's, that's Ryan. I knew that he moved out here, but I had not met him yet. And the thing that, I, that always attracted me to you from that perspective was the fact that, you know, you, were, you had your hands in a lot of different things. Like, you, you were n- never a person that just did, you know, one thing, whether it was a, a profession or an artistic expression. Um, I presume that's kind of always been the case for you. Um, yeah, you know, and and what's interesting is that, you know, depending on the conversation, there's a lot of different ways that people approach it. Uh, you know, sometimes people will say like, oh, you know, you must be spread so thin. You're doing all these different things, which is of course true to a large degree. But on the flip side, and this is something that I've come to realize more in recent years, it all overlaps. You know, there are all things that, that dovetail together, you know, whether that was as far back as, you know, being in the studio with Machine Head doing a profile for Circus Magazine and handing Rob Flynn a, a Burn It Down CD. And then, you know, fast forward to 2017 and I'm interviewing Rob Flynn for my Metallica podcast. Um, and, and, and at various points in between, you know, uh, working as a manager for Throwdown and having Throwdown on tour with Machine Head and having Bleeding Through on tour with Machine Head. And that's just one example that comes to mind of those may all seem like wildly different things that I was involved in and yet here they all sort of coalesce into something very recent of my own sort of creative endeavors, you know, with the Speak and Destroy podcast, for example. So, you know, I I always saw that there were overlaps and commonalities in the different things that I was doing. But yeah, going back to, you know, when I was in high school, I was singing in a hardcore band, doing doing a fanzine, um, putting on shows, you know, I always saw it as how can I participate? You know, how can I contribute to the things I love? And, you know, I would say that's been the one consistent thing that that persists in my personal and professional life now. Yeah, no, that makes sense, because I, I do think that people I mean, especially, you know, coming from the, the scene that we have where uh, I, I mean, it takes a certain person um to be able to do multiple things at the same time, you know, whether it's either attention span or just the fact that, you know, the the jack of all trades, master of none sort of scenario. Yes. But at the same time, it's like you, that, that creative energy where you're just like, okay, I want to do this. And like, this looks cool. So I want to try this. And I, I think that just kind of, like you said, it bleeds out into your adult life, but then as long as you're creatively thinking about it, they all can benefit one another in some weird ways. Like, you know, you just mentioned that, that through line of like, Oh yeah, like I can reach out to this person who I've known for 15 years. And of course they'll agree to do a podcast with me as opposed to who is this person? Why would I do something with them? Yes, exactly. And, and there's, and sometimes, I mean, like you, you mentioned us meeting, um, at real food daily at some point. And yeah, I mean, (laughs) you're a great example of somebody who I've always respected and always enjoyed running into you and talking to you. And we've had uh, a multiple, I mean, so many different reasons that we've connected over the years, you know, that I couldn't even pinpoint, you know, if someone were to say, how do you know Ray Harkins? I, I would just say, I don't know. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> you know? yeah we, we just, we just, you, it, I, I agree. It, you just kind of like usurp into this, this, uh, you know, uh, this stew of like, Oh yeah. Like I've just, I've known these people forever. And like, that's just, yeah. that's just who they are. And, and, and I found that, you know, 
when you find good people to interact with people that you trust or, and who are authentic and of good character and are doing cool things such as yourself, I think that you continue to endeavor to find ways to interact with each other, you know, and when you're a workaholic and you're trying to do a million different things, part of the enjoyment that you can get from that is figuring out excuses to uh, interact with people that you like, you know? It is true to where, I mean, there, there's very, the entertainment industry has the ability for you to be able to create relationships uh, that are beneficial, not only from a professional standpoint, but then also, I actually like working with these people, you know? And like, yeah. I, I think that's, you know, I mean. And, and that took me a while to learn because there's definitely been different neighborhoods that I've traveled in, so to speak, in the entertainment business. We're dealing with a lot of people that you don't enjoy dealing with. And, you know, some of the best advice that I ever got was actually from Vaughn Lewis, uh, one of the guys who manages Kill Switch Engage and, you know, somebody who I've always respected and looked up to. He told me once years ago, you know, these the people that you don't trust, who don't respect you or that you you don't like how they do things, just stop working with them. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, but, you know, this and this and this. And he's like, no, but, but just stop. And he's like, you know, and you don't have to write a long dramatic email and tell, tell someone all the reasons why you're not dealing with them anymore. He's like, just kind of quietly step away and then take the energy and time that you're focusing on those relationships and put it into developing new relationships and, you know, put more energy and time into the people that you like working with, get rid of the people that you don't like working with, you know, quietly stepping away and, fill that space with new relationships. And that was, um, I mean, it's probably around 2010 or 2011 when he gave me that advice, but it has stuck with me ever since. And I've, I've shared it with other people and I, I credit him with it because that was a, a huge game changer as much as I hate that cliche of a phrase. Big. Yeah, it was a, it was a big fork in the road for my, my personal and professional life. That's that's really cool. That's really cool, um, you know. So kind of kind of pulling the uh, pulling the vision back to you know your upbringing in uh, you know the Midwest in Indianapolis because I think you know most people that get into you know punk and hardcore have the you know the, the coastal experience, whereas you know you were operating from a standpoint of yeah being close to you know a large city, but not in the same way that Los Angeles or New York or even Orange County is. Um, so, you know, walk me through kind of, you know, your upbringing, your, um, you know, your family structure, uh, what your house kind of looked like as you were growing up. Yeah. You know, it's interesting is I just talked quite a bit about this with DeWid from Integrity, who grew up also in the Midwest. And he and I, you know, I'm a few years younger than him, but we're roughly the same age and had very similar backgrounds and um he lived in indiana for a big portion of his childhood as did i um yeah i was uh born and raised in indianapolis there was a brief period of about two years uh from age two to four uh most of which i don't have much recollection of where my family lived in california in uh, san mateo in northern california um and we ended up back in indiana um yeah, my parents divorced when I was four years old. I didn't really see my dad again until I was about 11. And around the time that he showed back up in my life, uh, my mom passed away. So, you know, I have uh, a lot of the classic sort of 
abandonment issues and and all those sort of things that you don't realize until you're an adult are shaping and coloring a lot of things about your life. Um, but you know, with that being said, my mom was great, um, and I think a lot of the creativity and interest in the arts and music and that sort of thing definitely stems from her. And my dad, on the flip side when he did show back up in my life, he was full on. Like he was, he was back. He kind of, you know, he, uh, he had struggled with, um, alcohol and, and other compulsive behaviors and through a 12 step program that he got into in the mid eighties and has, has stuck with, um, you know, really turned his life around. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in that stuff. Um, and it's, uh, power to create positive change. I've seen it, I've seen it work in a lot of people's lives. And, um, my dad's a great example of, of that. Um, but yeah, we were, uh, blue collar working class. Um, my mom, you know, raising my brother and I as a single mom on the South side of Indianapolis, uh, for most of my childhood, uh, worked on a secretary's salary. Um, she, uh, was diagnosed with lupus, which continues to be a confounding mystery to the medical community, but especially in the late seventies and early eighties, I mean, they really didn't know anything about it. Um, so, you know, she was dealing with that and raising two kids and, you know, she slept on the couch in the living room in a pull out bed. So my brother and I could each have our own bedroom when we were kids. Uh, so, you know, that was a big part of of that experience. Um, you know, my dad worked, uh, in the newspaper business, um, in the mail room and in the, uh, you know, in the machine sort of area, fixing machines and things like that. So, you know, when I hear those corny, uh, working class, uh, skinhead songs, (laughs) I can, I can relate to them, you know, uh, just as much as I can relate to uh, certain types of hip hop and like street punk and hardcore and stuff like that, because I definitely have that, um, you know, that Irish Catholic working class, uh, experience as a kid. And also, you know, the, uh, kind of redneck white trash area of town, <laughs> that, uh, you know, that, uh, I can relate to as a metalhead and, and various other things. So I think that I was aware of class issues and race issues and, and social justice, as it's called, either disparagingly or or empoweringly, these days, um, I was kind of in tune with that stuff pretty early on. I was also in tune with, you know, religion and kind of life's big questions, which I think, you know, when you lose a parent at an early age, that sort of opens the door to wondering about that sort of stuff and and being fascinated slash angered slash repulsed slash, uh, you know, enamored with it. Um, so yeah, all of those things really were a perfect storm for me to be really into comic books and horror movies and action movies and, uh, darker music, heavier music and, you know, yeah. Discovering, uh, punk and post-punk and that leading directly into thrash metal and thrash metal leading directly into hardcore and metalcore as it was kind of developing as a sound and scene. And right. Right. Yeah. And, and you had uh, brothers and sisters or no, uh, one older brother. Okay. Um, and I also have a older, much older half, half brother and half sister from my dad's first marriage. Uh, my dad actually, uh, was a father at like 17 or 18 and was married with two kids 
by his late teens and early 20s. And that marriage dissolved. And then he met my mom, uh, you know, in his 30s and married her and had uh, my older brother and myself. So I have a half brother and a half sister um, who I didn't grow up with. But as an adult, you know, have have been in contact with and uh, and gotten to spend some time with and get a little closer to. Um, so, yeah, so it's always an interesting, uh, you know, the short the short answer is always, yeah, I have an older brother. But if I'm having a longer conversation like this one, then I say I actually also have a, a half brother and a half sister. Right. Yeah, there are there are there are other people that were present, <laughs> present in the yeah. house in and around things. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're sitting here. It's like June. And you're like, where has the time gone? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. I got to like accomplish all these other things. Take a moment, focus on the things that obviously for one matter to you, but for two, look back, be like, what have I done well? What have I done not so well? And maybe I can, you know, ask some friends and family for some help. But where I have always gone to in regards to figuring out what I can do better, therapy. Therapy is an incredible tool at your arsenal that you can dip into. I've done it for my marriage. I've done it for myself personally. And I'm a huge advocate for what therapy can do for you because it is a third party that's able to look at what you can do to improve your life and be a person to help you along in your journey. And so I think if you were thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and entirely suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then boom, you're done. It's great. And then if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch it at no additional cost. So take a moment, reflect on the things you've done, reflect on the things you want to do, and visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. I'm excited to tell you about a great sponsor that is called HelloFresh. And... 
They are a meal delivery kit service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. With HelloFresh, all the ingredients are delivered right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging and come pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipe, which is unbelievable because otherwise it's just this confusing mess and you're just like, I don't know what goes with what. And HelloFresh offers a wide variety of chef-curated recipes that change weekly, including the classic plan, a veggie plan, and the family plan, which is quick and easy meals that the whole family will love. And better yet, you can choose a delivery day that works best for your busy schedule, and even pause your account for weeks at a time. HelloFresh makes it so easy to cook delicious, balanced dinners for less than $10 a meal. There's no more time-consuming meal planning or grocery shopping. Enjoy not spending money on takeout for an easy night, or worrying about gathering ingredients week after week after week. I've been on the HelloFresh train for quite some time, and I love this service. It's so rad because, like I said before, it just comes in a super easy box. You pop it open. You toss it in the refrigerator. A couple nights a week, my wife and I cook it up, and it's not only is it fun, it's bonding time, but then it... the. The meals are so good. And, you know, I'm vegan. And I, so what I do is I, you know, and they do a vegetarian box and I'm just able to replace some ingredients and it works perfectly. But trust me, this is the real deal. It will make your life so much better and easier and make you feel like you're an absolute killer in the kitchen. So for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code WORDS30. That's the number three zero. <clears throat> and I... I can't endorse this enough. Trust me. Try it out. You'll love it. HelloFresh.com. Use the promo code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S 30. All right? So enjoy some food on me. All right? Now on with the show. Like you said, as you started to, you know, dive into all these different subcultures and get, um, you know, really deep on them because, you know, there's there's certain people where, um, you know, that are peers of ours where you can see how, uh, you know, kind of where their deep dive ends, whether it's like, you know, they don't feel comfortable with a certain subject matter, whether it's just because like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm not Christian, so I won't get to Christian hardcore, whatever. That's just a random example. But like, you know, you really, you know, put yourself in a lo- into a lot of it. Um, it like, I, I, I'm going to presume that, you know, many people, like as you were going into high school and stuff like that, were just like, yeah, like Ryan's a cool dude, but like, man, he's into some weird stuff. Like how, how did people interact with you as you were you were kind of bringing this stuff, uh, you know, into their worlds willingly and maybe sometimes unwillingly. Oh, I mean, there's definitely, yeah, a lot of different kind of mile markers in terms of, uh, you know, it, it, it's such a cliche these days. And this might be because, you know, I wrote a dozen cover stories on kind of modern warp tour era bands in a period of a few years that maybe it feels like a cliche to me, but, I, you know, I actually was bullied as a kid. <laughs> you know, that's, I almost, right. you know what I mean? Like, it sort of feels like that's just, that's something, you know, I get into these conversations with some of these, uh, uh, you know, band guys and it's like, it, it comes up so often and maybe that's just emblematic of, uh, how prevalent this has been and, and what a shame that is. But, you know, I had, I definitely had different bullies, um, in elementary school and in middle school where I was, you know, chased home from the bus stop. And, uh, you know, I mean, literally those, those, those classic bully stories of being like shoved into your locker and that sort of thing. Like that stuff, that stuff definitely happened to me. And a lot of it was, um, 
not really relating to, you know, I was never into sports. Um, a lot of the things that kids were into in the late seventies and, and early eighties and late eighties in Indiana were not things that I was into or related to. And, you know, I remember being picked on literally for wearing vans, you know, cause those were like weird shoes <laughs> to be wearing in sixth grade, you know, in the eighties in Indianapolis. Um, and I'm not trying to say that I was hip and cool and understood hip and cool things that other kids didn't, but there was definitely an element of that. You know, I mean, uh, being into comic books, being into Dungeons and Dragons or role playing games, being even into like Nintendo and video games and stuff like that at a certain point, none of that stuff was cool. Like it was all things that weird kids did and were into. Um, with that being said, I, I was able to forge some really solid friendships uh, throughout elementary, middle, and high school with a core group of people who were also into weird things, um, a handful of whom I'm still close with to this day and, and still communicate with, you know, even on a daily basis. Um, but, you know, th- that tended to be few and far between, and it was always a very small group within whatever school that I went to. And one of the beauties of the hardcore scene uh, getting into high school was it enabled me to meet like-minded people in other parts of Indianapolis uh, who I didn't go to school with, you know, who lived on different sides of town. And then in high school, even through uh, like maximum rock and roll fanzine and, you know, literally snail mail and that sort of thing, getting to know people in Louisville and Chicago and St. Louis and Detroit and Cleveland in these cities that were, you know, anywhere from a 90 minute to a five hour drive away. Um, and forging really important friendships and also friendships that persist to this day. You know, it's, we're all in such constant communication and contact with one another these days. And, you know, we're, we can get on social media and talk to people in other parts of the world. But when I was growing up, um, that was pretty profound and different to, you know, have close friends that live six hours away where it costs, you know, a dollar a minute to talk to them (laughs) on the phone. Um, you know, it was pretty novel and I think it definitely helped, uh, expand my horizons and, uh, feel connected with like-minded people who were interested in the same things I was or felt the same way I did about things, uh, that weren't accessible to me locally. So, you know, I was, uh, pretty shy and introverted, um, and when I, when I would connect with somebody, you know, in those relationships, I could be really talkative and sometimes even, uh, you know, bossy, uh, like certainly when it came to forming bands, I was always the, the band, the band boss, you know, the band dictator that was the band dad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dragging everybody around and yeah, making them look and sound and do the things that I wanted to do. Um, so I definitely had that part going, but in the larger kind of culture around me i was was very quiet and withdrawn and um didn't want much to do with people or really know how to interact with them and yeah as that kind of went forward um in our local scene i could definitely be a, a polarizing figure you know i was into things like veganism and straight edge uh that weren't popular <laughs> um, you know my my, my first one of my first bands was actually the first straight edge band in Indianapolis ever, which was pretty late for the hardcore scene, given that this was like 1989. 
Um, you know, there had been straight edge kids before me, but there had never actually been, you know, a singer, a guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer that were able to come together and form an actual band. So my first, my, you know, one of my first bands are, who only played one show we were the actual first straight edge band in indianapolis so we had that yeah that going, we had for, that going for us yeah <laughs> which um was not a popular thing that was not a way to make fans it was definitely a way to be an outcast amongst the outcasts um which we didn't quite understand when we first got into it because our idea about straight edge and straight edge hardcore bands was that it was really positive and it was about unity and it was all you know um yay raw let's all be good people and do good things. And we got so much shit and we were picked on so mercilessly by the rest of the scene, just for being straight edge kids that that developed into us adopting this kind of militant attitude. And and we were also, you know, we were listening to things like boogie down productions and public enemy and um, kind of militant hip hop stuff. And we kind of adopted that, attitude and then we realized that there were bands like die hard and confront and vegan reich and raid who were um who who didn't take shit for standing up for uh you know the drug-free lifestyle or animal rights or things like that and once we realized that that was even possible i mean once we heard the judge seven inch even um you know our band we, we changed our name we changed our attitude we changed our style and and a group of friends kind of cropped up where um we fought back, frankly, and it was always it was always from a point of of defense, you know, and we had and this was Indianapolis in the late 80s and early 90s. So we still had um, skinheads of all shapes, uh, whether it was skinheads who were people of color or skinheads who were, quote unquote, neutral or Nazi skinheads. And that meant that there were fights at shows. There were was kind of a a violent resistance uh, and uh, move to get those people out of our scene, which eventually worked. Um, but yeah, we started off with the best of intentions of like, yay, raw, isn't this nice? We're in all this, like we love animals and like, we don't want to like party and get wasted every weekend and be these like lame jocks. We want to be like friendly and fun and self-empowered. And, um, other punks and hardcore kids really hated us for that. Yeah. <laughs> and we were, and we were baffled, you know, they were writing songs about us and stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, that, 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 um, caused us to adopt a more militant attitude. And then of course it became that much easier to hate us because then it was like, look how militant those guys are. Yeah. Look how extreme they are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I have to say, whenever you hear, I mean, how many times do you hear someone say like, I mean, you know, I don't have a problem with straight edge. It's just the straight edgers who like, knock a beer out of your hand and like beat you up for smoking and blah, blah, blah. Did that ever actually happen anywhere ever? Yeah. Like I feel like that's like some weird urban legend because I certainly never did that. I never knew anyone who did that. I never knew of any actual verified accounts of that happening and the sort of violence quote unquote that you did hear about, um, was really more like in the late nineties and it tended to be like straight edge on straight edge violence, you know, like different crews squabbling or, you know, I mean, as far as like random people getting hurt in the pit, that definitely wasn't exclusive to straight edge. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I felt like, it, I, I feel like it was more straight edge people who were in straight edge crews who quit being straight edge that got beaten up. But this idea of like, 
yeah, you go to parties and somebody's smoking and you knock the cigarette out of their hand. Yeah, and that's totally. Yeah, that's that, that. That is totally like a work of fiction. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, that's fantasy, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I, just, I mean, I'm sure. I get to hear any like provable claims yeah. of that. It's like anecdotal stories, but then it's like, yeah, I don't actually believe that that happened. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, fights, fights. In my experience, were. I mean, it sounds again corny to say like a cliche or something, but it was always self defense. It was always. People were like weirdly threatened by <laughs> straight edge or vegan kids for, you know, like, and, and then in terms of violence and like with the hardline thing or the vegan straight edge thing, a lot of that violence was property destruction. It was, you know, direct action and which is a whole other debate and conversation, but that's, um, you know, that's a form of activism that isn't by any means exclusive to the animal liberation movement. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And, uh, kind of along that same tip, because, um, you know, like you mentioned and, you know, you, you have shown a, um, you know, not an interest, but a passion for this, you know, throughout your life is, you know, your relationship to God and spirituality and everything like that. Um, and I presume, you know, in many respects, uh, you know, people have probably just because, you know, clearly spirituality within the context of, you know, punk and hardcore is usually not embraced widely unless you're like, oh, yeah, well, you're a band on solid here, tooth and nail. Like, <laughs> other than that, there's not really, yeah. there's not, there's not like, or face down, to, you know, those are, those are the two safe spaces from that perspective. But, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I guess, I, were you raised in a religious household? And I guess I know it's a, a big question to kind of unravel, but, um, you know, just because uh, that's something that has been pervasive throughout your whole life. Um, so, yeah, where did Yeah, that? no, I'm down to I'm down to dig into it for sure. Um, I, I will say, broadly speaking, and, and, and in terms of how it relates to the hardcore experience, um, you know, the glass half full is that, and this is really where I'm at these days in terms of my focus. The glass half full is that I've interacted with so many different people with uh, so much diverse thought and experiences. That's really helped inform who I am and, and really enriches my, my daily life. And, you know, my, uh, you know, my best friend in the world, for example, is an atheist who's straight edge, um, isn't vegan. You know, one of my other close friends is a Christian who leans, uh, conservative and isn't straight edge. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, I, I've, I've, uh, been really blessed and I'm really thankful that, um, I just, I've just known so many different types of people for such a long time, you know, who have, uh, differing worldviews and lifestyles and, yet I can connect with them in areas where we have commonalities and I can also connect in areas where we have complementary differences. So that's the glass half full version, Got it. the glass half empty version. And this was certainly, uh, plagued me throughout my twenties. I was never straight edge enough for most straight edge people. And I was too straight edge for people that were into partying. And, you know, I was, uh, I was too, religious for most punk and hardcore people and not this or that enough for Christian hardcore kids or people that I knew who converted to Islam or whatever, you know, it was like the the glass half empty was, I definitely struggled with, um, no one's ever stoked. Like I was, you know, I always felt like I was, uh, pulled, pulled between, different worlds and that, uh, there was an elitism or a way of not measuring up that was 
persistent with with those crowds so luckily that's a lot of that feels like a lifetime ago and the people who were the most militant or critical from any perspective ultimately bent or broke somehow you know whether it was like a super hardcore militant straight edge person who ended up selling out quote unquote or an ultra conservative christian who's uh you know become uh accepting of homosexuals or you know whatever it is um those those people whose lives were like these rubber bands that were pulled so tight they either flung in the other direction or they broke or they or they relaxed you know became like a nice relaxed rubber band right um so that's you know that's always been fascinating to me um and kind of that idea of the outcast among the outcasts um you know i would uh in the in the late 90s even i was in a band that yeah talk tackled different spiritual ideas and so on and had a lot of diversity of thought and opinion even within the lineup uh, and for some people just the simple fact that we would play with christian hardcore bands um made us unsavory you know people people were uncomfortable about the fact that we played with christian hardcore bands and then we'd play with these christian hardcore bands who were uncomfortable with the fact that we weren't christians right. totally. <laughs> you know? like let me let me examine your lyric book dude yeah exactly um you know yeah uh so wow, you guys curse on stage? What? <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was always this sort of being pulled apart in different directions. But to get back to your specific question, you know, my uh, my dad comes from an Irish Catholic family. He's referred to himself as a recovering Catholic at various points. You know, he wasn't uh, a practicing Catholic in my experience, and I didn't really grow up with him until I was, you know, about eleven or twelve, and then I had the single father experience with him and. You know, we would go to mass and things like that for funerals and that sort of thing. But um, even holidays, we weren't necessarily observing religiously. And then my mom uh, was pretty active in the Presbyterian Church. She was what you would call a born again Christian um, in her, I guess, I guess in like the late seventies, early eighties. She died pretty young, um, but that became a, a important thing for her uh, towards the end of her life. And um, so I had you know, some experience going to Presbyterian church and Sunday school and that sort of thing. And then I was also aware of Catholicism from that side of my family. And as a teenager, and I think like a lot of kids who were into punk and hardcore, I, I questioned everything. And I, and I had a, a healthy skepticism and a cynicism about every aspect of theology and every part of religion. But I think where I also differed from a lot of my peers and when I say peers, I mean, obviously, within subculture, because I differed on everything with <laughs> the dominant popular culture. Um, I think where I differed was that I was not just questioning, but I was also a seeker. And I identified even more so with those types of artists and those types of people, whether it was the Bad Brains, the Chromags, um, you know, artists and musicians and that that sort of veered off into this third path, you know, cause it was either like, Oh, just be like a conservative Christian young Republican or be a total no gods, no masters like militant atheist um, that wants to burn all religion. It, it, I'm like, no, what, what, isn't there an option C, <laughs> you know, do we have, do we other, have man? The, the baby out with the bathwater? Yeah. Um, is it possible not to be racist or homophobic or misogynist um, and also believe in God? 
you know, is it possible to get something out of the Bible or the story of Jesus without being a fundamentalist? And, you know, I, I man, I, through my late teens and, and early 20s, I studied everything from, you know, I was never a Krishna devotee, but I, I studied Krishna consciousness and was around devotees and uh, spent time in temples. Uh, actually, a friend of mine and I went on tour with the band 108 for a couple of weeks and, you know, stayed at ISKCON temples and so on. Uh, vigorously debated different Krishna devotees. Um, I studied and was fascinated by the MOVE organization in Philadelphia Um the Nation of Islam, uh, a lot of the Islamic ideas that were coming through in hip-hop at that time. Um, I had a lot of friends who uh, converted to Islam at different points in the late 90s, especially spent time in mosques, prayed in mosques, um, spent a lot of time around bands like Living Sacrifice and the guys in Zayo and, and different people in that Christian metal world that had a more nuanced take or a a different take. You know, I always found, uh, especially like Dan from Zayo to be a much more relatable person in terms of his faith experience and his walk and that sort of thing. Um, and he was somebody that was, you know, too Christian for some people and not Christian enough for the Christian scene. Um, you know, so I, I definitely gravitated more towards those kind of personalities. Uh, the Baha'i faith, that was something that I, wasn't even involved in at one point and all of it sort of led me around to uh honestly it was after I, I moved to california which was about 16 years ago that i started to even identify as a christian and sort of found that that was the framework in which i felt the most comfortable exploring these ideas um and some of that's culture you know some of that's the irish catholic thing um some of that's the people i was around and how the real sort of electric faith that I felt around them. Um, you know, I appreciated in the Christian tradition, and this is, I think, a surprise to some people on the outside of it or who grew up with a certain view of it. There's actually, there's a real lack of orthodoxy. You know, there's certain things that Christians all share in common in terms of belief, but then there's wildly divergent practices and theological systems and sex and you know i used to as a kid look at christianity and go oh there's so many different denominations and versions of it so it can't be true because it's such a mess and they don't even agree about anything and now i feel the same way except i go wow it's got to be true there's so much beauty and mystery and magic here and so many different ways of looking at it and points of view and oh it's awesome how complicated it is um you know, it's, it's uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, whereas, you know, things like the Baha'i faith and, and other religions that I had studied or was around or involved in, there's a real orthodoxy and a real uniformity of thought that's enforced by a hierarchy or a, um, a system of governance. And that's something as a contrarian, as a rabble rouser, as a libertarian, an anarchist, whatever, whatever paintbrush you want to use, um, that I've always identified with. And that's when I found this idea of a personal relationship uh, with Christ and the idea of liberation theology and different things that I encountered. That's where I found a home uh, in the Christian umbrella uh, as an adult and, and where, where I'm still at now, um, albeit uh, there's a lot of isms and a lot of nuances we can get into. Uh, and it's such a charged word, right? You tell somebody you're a Christian and they, 
it brings a lot to the table. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it brings a lot. It brings a lot of. Uh, it, it triggers people. That's true. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, and I understand why. Um, and a lot of Christians over the years, if they hear me say, "Well, I'm a Christian, but you know." Um, I don't believe homosexuality is a sin. And da, 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 you know, I start listing off these things. They think, oh, well, you're not really a Christian. Or they think, oh, well, you're a, you're a people pleaser. And it's like, uh, I'll be the first one to tell you my life experience over and over and over. There's nothing people pleasing about these positions. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you end up not Christian enough for some Christians and too Christian for your atheist friends. Like there's nothing people pleasing about it. Um, it, it to me, it's just an unending search for truth and meaning and purpose and to uh, decide what that is for myself and to stand up for it, whether or not it pleases uh, different groups of people. Because most cases it doesn't, it's always going to offend somebody. Um, And that's just sort part of the experience. It's part of the journey. That's my inner punk rock kid, I guess that's never going to (laughs) go. Yeah, no, absolutely. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Hey, we have a new partner on this show, and I cannot be more excited about it because I've used this service for a long time. 
texture. So have you ever walked by a newsstand and seen a stunning magazine cover that makes you want to stop and be like, hey, what's what's up with that? Or read a cover headline that makes you want to know more? The next time you do, remember texture. So with the texture app, not only do you get a peek inside the whole magazine, but you get the whole magazine, plus unlimited access to over 200 additional premium titles like Time, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, Wired, and right now, you can try Texture for free. Just imagine having all of your favorite magazines and the back issues anytime, anywhere. To start this free Texture trial, go to texture.com slash words. And then if you choose to continue, listeners of this very show will get Texture for just $9.99 a month. That's 30% off the listed price. There's also great gift options for those readers in your life that you want to hook up. So please go to texture.com slash words to start your free trial today. No joke, this is unbelievable. Like I used to subscribe to 10, 15 magazines and then there's nothing more frustrating than those things piling up on the side of your bed and they're just like, oh man, this is amazing. You can dive in and out, read whatever you want. I sometimes look at magazines that I would never look at before because I'm like, I'm not going to get a subscription or I'm not going to pay like $7 for a magazine in a bookstore. Texture brings it all to your fingertips. It is so awesome. So please go to texture.com slash words and you will enjoy what Texture has to offer. Okay? Get smart. Use Texture. Now on with the show. You're kind of focusing on, you know, burn it down where, um, you know, you, you, that band existed in the, you know, era before bands with the exception of, you know, whatever your earth crises or your hate breeds who, you know, started to make a name and become successful, whatever that may mean, where it's like they could just, you know, go on tour and sustain themselves and like, you know, maybe work a, you know, at a bagel shop in between tours or something like that. But like, you know, Burn It Down was, it was like just right on the cusp of, you know, being able to, uh, you know, take it more seriously from a business standpoint. Um, did it, uh, like, did it feel that way as you were kind of, you know, getting on larger tours and, you know, I mean, cause I, I remember seeing you guys, you toured with Inflames before, correct? I think I saw you. Uh, yeah, uh, twice actually. Okay. Yeah. I think I saw you at the glass house. Um, uh, we didn't, we didn't actually make it out to California on either of those tours, but we, uh, we were supposed to, um, <laughs> Got it. but yeah, we toured with, uh, Inflames and, Dillinger Escape Plan. Uh, we did shows with Hatebreed, um, Shadows Fall, a bunch of bands that were either in the process of kind of getting to that that stage that you're describing, uh, or were already there. And to be honest with you, it, it, it changed day by day whether we felt like it was getting to that stage or not. Um, and certainly, yeah, I think you rightly identify we were right on the cusp because I mean our band broke up in 2000 played a final show in 2001 and this was you know bands like kill switch and stuff like that were just sort of starting um but the idea that uh you know a band like atreyu or kill switch or any of these bands that they would have gold records you know um that was definitely far from our imaginations and and didn't seem like anything real or attainable and we were also on that cusp where you know, um, people gave me crap because I didn't wear like baggy pants, <laughs> you know, sure. or because like, uh, you know, we had, we had singing parts, singing parts was like super controversial, quote unquote, clean vocals. You know, it was like, <laughs> we're right on the edge of like, you know, after the band was gone, 
um, and meeting people like Howard Jones or, um, you know, Brandon Chapetti or James Hart and like, you know, people like that, that I either met towards the end of the band or immediately afterwards, they would say that they really, you know, really appreciated and were really into what we were doing. But that was a lot of after the fact, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, yeah. it was definitely a struggle while it was happening, you know, and we had, we shared a lot in common with some other bands from the Midwest of the era, um, you know, coalesce. Um, we did shows with, uh, you know, bands that were coming from a similar perspective in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel like something that was becoming this big scene that of course, metalcore and the new wave of American heavy metal went on to be, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting moment in time to be at kind of the tail end of of yeah that era of um, Earth Crisis and that sort of thing, and right in the very beginning of what became like that big uh, metalcore explosion of like you know two thousand three and onward. Right, exactly, and you know that leads into my next question, where you know you, as you you know moved out to California, and then obviously, like you said, as the you know the band uh, wrapped itself up in the early two thousands, um, and you then you started to you know manage a lot of these bands that were you know at the epicenter of that, um, specifically because you were you know located in Southern California, you already had all these um, relationships with people. Um, you know, I, I'm going to guess that stepping into management was was pretty easy. But the the thing that I kind of wanted to focus on, and when I say easy, I mean not like you were immediately good at it, but easy where you know you had these relationships. <laughs> Just yeah, to be clear. yeah. But the question I wanted to ask was, it's like, you know, because you were friends with all these people, and that is where your relationship with them began. And then you know, sometimes when you muddy the waters of dealing with friends and. <laughs> business uh and then especially at the level that you were dealing with all of these bands you know you know uh, where there was so much interest in what they were doing um you know was that was that a difficult road for you to navigate as far as the you know where where does our friendship end and our business relationship begin and that sort of stuff uh yes and no because i think the biggest blessing and a curse about my management career and, and you're completely correct about the way that it started was that it was very organic and these were all fr- these were all friends, you know, every band that I managed, um, it developed out of a natural friendship that predated even my career as a manager. And the reason why I say it was a blessing and a curse is that as the years went on in terms of longevity in that management world, and as more and more management companies cropped up and that sort of thing, um, the fact that, my relationships were so friend driven from a purely business professional financial standpoint ultimately hurt me in that world because people came along who didn't operate that way at all. And I was never a salesman. You know, I I could never sit down with a new upcoming band and blow a bunch of smoke at them about how huge and successful they were going to be. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I, I could never, uh, I wasn't a bullshitter. You know, and a lot of bullshitters came along who were able to grab a lot of bands or, you know, poach established bands from other managers. And I just never, I was just never that sort of shark. I was never wired that way. And I, I wasn't a, a wine and diner razzle dazzle. I was very nuts and bolts, you know, making the organized checklist and, 
and crossing everything off and really doing well by my friends, you know, and with certain scenes, there's always kind of an expiration date and there's, you know, band members get older, they get married, they start families, they want to put down roots, um, you know, scene kids, quote unquote, they get older, um, you know, 15 year olds want to see a 21 year old singer on stage. And eventually those 15 year olds become the 21 year old singer and the 21 year old singer from yesteryear is now, you know, pushing 30 and it just sort of, uh, with some very few exceptions, there's a natural kind of life cycle or life expectancy to these bands. And when you're intermingling that with, with business and trying to make it someone's career, for record labels, for booking agents, for attorneys, for managers, for band members, for crew members. Um, it's pretty precarious, you know, and, and I wasn't because I wasn't out there constantly trying to have the new hot thing. And, and because I never, uh, was interested in poaching a band from somebody else. When a couple of the artists that I was working with for a number of years reached that inevitable stage where they had plateaued and they were not as popular as they were, or not as hot as they were, or weren't getting the same offers that they used to, um, there was a, there was a moment where I had to go, okay, I need to do this a different. I'm going to keep doing this a different way than everybody else, and I'm going to stick with this idea of of staying diverse in my own professional career and all the things I'm going to do. I just, you know, there was, there was a time in the metalcore scene that having, uh, your baseball card collection of look at our website with all these bands and all these managers under our umbrella and all these people that were like management companies started thinking they were the band. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I always saw a manager as someone more behind the scenes, you know, like I never, there was never a superhero tour, you know, or, and this isn't to, to disparage, you know, people that I'm friendly with who, who tried some of these different things that, that worked for them to varying degrees of success or, or failure. Um, but yeah, I wasn't trying to have a, a multifaceted empire. You know, I never started a publishing company. I wasn't, uh, you know, I was briefly involved with a, a label imprint, which was a friend of mine really wanted to do, and I, I did with him. And but I, you know, I wasn't trying to have the empire. You know, um, everyone. I mean, you know, that's not to say that I, I don't enjoy success and I don't want to, uh, you know, benefit from hard work and all that sort of thing. I, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm just there's just a different yeah yeah mentality well, I, you know? for sure. I mean, especially when you come at it from the standpoint that you know you are. You're you're not trying to build an empire. Uh, you are simply trying to help people out. And then you know, if the empire does become built through work, then so be it. But it's not this grand vision, like you said, of the you know I'm going to collect 15 bands and then put this together and do that. It's you know, it, ma- management is you know at least in my view is very much the same way as when people put together bands. You know, where you're just like you know dicking around with friends and same sort of idea where you're just like, hey, like I know a little bit about this. I can totally help you and be the you know, fourth or fifth or sixth member of said band, just to kind of throw around ideas. Cause you know, when you're in your own bubble, sometimes it's hard to have an outsider's perspective and that's what it is. So yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. And I wasn't willing to make it about me, you know, like I didn't want to be the guy. And then I have these bands, you know, I wanted the bands to be the bands and I wanted to support them and represent them in that capacity as a manager 
but there was a culture that developed um, where people start acting like it's about them, and it's just something I, I wasn't comfortable with. Uh, you know, and when I when I started managing these bands, the idea of managers in that scene was new or weird. There weren't there weren't many, you know, and and the, um, and to your point too, not to interrupt your train of thought, but like there was a there's an act of distrust to that because you know yes. since much of that was still in its infancy as far as bands being you know professional entities there was that notion that the managers would step in and become this you know puppet master behind the scenes and you know telling bands of course to, yeah of to, course to, a, a telling bands to look prettier or whatever you know yeah absolutely um write this kind of song or whatever and yeah man exactly and another thing that changed is that bands will form now and have a merch company and a manager and a social media person and all this stuff overnight, you know, before they've even written an album, you know, whereas the bands that I started working with were already a certain way into their career and had never had management. You know, I, I started working with tiger army. I worked for with tiger army for 10 years. They were on their third record. They'd never had a manager, (laughs) you know? Um, I, when I started working with Bleeding Through, they were about to tour with AFI, who were, uh, you know, had just had their platinum breakthrough album. So, you know, they had they had things going on. They had momentum. They had things that they had figured out for themselves and hired management at a point where they needed help, where to be where it had become difficult to manage on their own. Um, and that's definitely changed also. But, yeah, I got to give credit to Brandon Schiapetti from Bleeding Through because he was the guy who, who called me. Um, I was, uh, a reporter writer and producer for MTV news at the time and, and doing some freelance stuff here and there. And Brandon called me one day and said, Hey, my band is getting to a place where we think we need management. And we've met with some of these other managers and exactly to your point, Ray, um, they weren't comfortable around these kind of sleazy industry. They were distrustful of the whole concept, but they also recognized that, you know, somebody's got to be awake at a desk at 9 a.m. to re- respond to the emails when they're on the road, you know, uh, or whatever it is, you know, just the, the nuts and bolts and mechanics of the daily operations of a band when you start getting to a certain level. And he was the guy who called me and said, look, you, you're the only person we know who works in the quote unquote, like legitimate end of the entertainment industry um, as a journalist and, and whatnot. But you also come from where we came from and you understand, you know, you've, you've been in a band, you know what it's like to sleep on a floor, to show up somewhere where there's no PA and they want you to sing through the bass amp. Uh, but you also might understand our record contract better than like my dad does, you know, <laughs> when he's, cause I, we don't know who else to have read it, you know? Um, and yeah, and I said, uh, well, I've never, you know, I haven't done this before. I don't know if I'll be any good at it. So I have a, a full-time job and I'd feel weird charging you for it. So let's just try it. And, um, you know, I managed their band for free for a few months. And then it was as simple as the guys from Throwdown going, hey, you manage bands now? Um, you manage Bleeding Through? Well, why don't you manage us? Right. And then literally the same conversation with Zayo where they were like, hey, we heard you're managing Bleeding Through and Throwdown. Like, why aren't you our manager? And, <laughs> you know, and then uh, within a year after that, it was it was Demon Hunter, which were, you know, I knew Ryan Clark from the Focal Point days and we played shows together. Um, and then it was Tiger Army. And, you know, the Tiger Army guys were people that I had met through AFI, who I'd going bring our conversation full circle to how things overlap. You know, 
I had interviewed AFI for my fanzine um, in the late 90s, and that was just a relationship that continued from there. I ended up doing uh, one of their cover stories for Alternative Press. I did their first ever MTV News interview, um, you know, and I met Tiger Army through AFI, and the AFI guys uh, vouched for me to uh, to represent Tiger Army, and that, that became a 10-year relationship. And, um, you know, Demon Hunter I've been working with since 2004 or 2005 i still represent throwdown um who aren't an active band like they were but is still a band we're actually negotiating a festival offer as we speak um so but yeah that, i don't regret um doing it the friend way uh and i don't regret sticking around as long as i did with each of those bands but from a purely pragmatic business oriented only point of view i wasn't sharky enough i didn't go out there and, and brand myself as like the dude to be your hot manager i didn't poach bands from people i didn't chase around the hot bands and try to impress them and i stuck around with some bands uh when they were past their prime you know i have a very vivid memory around like 2009 of meeting with a band about potentially working with them and they had said, uh, you know, they just met with other managers, younger, newer managers the day before. And they said, yeah, the guys we met with yesterday, they said to ask you about bleeding through and throw down. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. Like, what do you want to know? You know, throw down, you know, toured with corn, just came back from Australia with corn and did main support to kill switch and, you know, Ozfest and, you know, bleeding through. Oh, we've been on the cover of revolver and outburn and, metal edge and you know toward with slayer and manson you know what do you want to know you want to know about all that stuff and they were like oh no they said to ask you like what happened like like what went wrong like why are those bands kind of shot now they used to be so big (laughs) and and i have a vivid memory of that conversation because it was the first time that i had any sense of any of that you know and the competition and the uh and the, uh, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, or the, what have, what have you done for me? Like I had, I had someone in the industry say to me once, um, somebody who, uh, bragged often about how many records he had, he had been uh, a part of selling. And I had responded and said, you know what? I only because I've heard you say this number so many times, a million records, I'd never added up the number for myself, but you know, I've been involved in like two and a half million sales. So, and his response was, this ain't the sports hall of fame, bro. What have you done lately? <laughs> it's just funny in the grand scheme of life. Cause I was maybe two years removed from those record sales at the time. You know, it's like, right. come on, man. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the ugly side of it that I just don't care to be involved in, you know? And, uh, and, and sometimes through my friendships, I, uh, I've ended up managing the unmanageable, you know, Dillinger escape plan is looked at as a difficult band to work with. And, the only manager who did an entire album cycle with them, and it was their, and it was their most successful album cycle. Yeah. Patting myself on the back here. Um, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> and they're still very good and close friends, you know. And that, and again, bringing us full circle, I had that relationship with Dillinger that no one else had because uh, Burnetown toured with Dillinger, you know. And Ben and I had been friends for years, and Greg's become one of my best friends. And um, yeah, to answer your question about the the friendships. Um, they were never hurt by business. Thank God. They, they all sort of, I mean, they definitely were intermingled, but you know, I was, I was the best man in Dave Peter's wedding. He's still my best friend. Um, I was the best man in Chappetti's wedding for that matter. 
you know, Greg, Greg is still a very close friend, Ben, Liam, all the Dillinger guys, you know, we're, we're homies. Uh, Jeff Kresge from Tiger Army, somebody I communicate with literally every day sometimes. Um, you know, he hasn't been in the band for three or four years. I haven't worked with the band for three or four years. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very, very happy and proud of those relationships and friendships and the things we were able to do together professionally. And, um, you know, I, I ain't done either. It's 2017 and Demon Hunter had their biggest first week on album eight, their highest chart debut, their, their first number one single, Christian radio. Um, you know, we're still, we're still doing the thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exciting. Um, the, uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, you know, because you have, you know, been writing and doing, you know, your own form of journalism throughout, you know, many different entities, whether it's, you know, alternative press or like you said, MTV news, that sort of stuff, um, you know, kind of focusing on your time at alternative press. Um, you know, I know why obviously you, uh, you know, cover certain bands, whether it's, you know, Pierce the Veil, Memphis Mayfire, all that stuff. Um, you know, because clearly that's the audience that uh, alternative press is going towards. Um, you know, whereas I, because I know you, I know why it's easy for you to be able to communicate with, uh, you know, these people who, uh, you know, you know, play in bands and tour and have many of the same experiences that, you know, you and I have, but obviously are doing it at a much, much larger level. Um, whereas some people would just be like, oh, that, that, that band's posers or, you know, just that whole notion of like, oh, that band isn't valid because they, you know, they're not part of the hardcore scene or whatever, you know, those sort of elitist attitudes, um, you know, have, I guess, have you, I presume you haven't run into that uh, often from, um, you know, your interactions with these sort of bands. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure maybe behind the scenes, certain people are just like, Ryan, why do you talk to those bands? Why do you cover those sort of bands? Or, oh, yeah. Okay. No, you're not wrong. You're, okay. get, you're, guess, you're guessing you're 100% correct. Okay. You know, and I, I mean, you know, or I would post on Facebook, like, check out this video interview or check out this cover story. And, and there's always the, the old friends from back in the day that are like, what, what the, you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, there's relationships in that world that I've had a lot of, uh, difficulty with certain friends, uh, because of them, because they don't, they don't understand how I could even sit in a room with this person or that person. And I'll say a couple things about that. Um, a co- yeah, there's only a couple of things I want to say. W- one is that as a storyteller, right. And as a creative person and as somebody who is naturally curious, I love so many of these individuals and their stories, you know, I, there's, they're just interesting to, to pick apart and understand, um, you know, from their surface level charisma to the deepest, darkest reaches of their upbringing and their relationships and all that sort of thing and how it relates to the art that they make. Um, that, so that's one end and that, and that's kind of a coverall that speaks to covering a lot of different bands but I also want to say um, plenty of these people whose music and, and so on that I've covered in recent years, I really like as people. Um, you know, Andy Beersack from Blackville Brides is the first example that comes to mind. He's become a close friend, and, and that's a relationship that was generated purely from covering his band. I mean, the first time we ever sat down together was me interviewing him, you know, but now he's somebody that I I communicate with all the time. We have a ton of things in common. I mean, you know, we're, 
there's a, there's a pretty big age difference between us. But on the flip side, we both have misfits tattoos. Um, <laughs> you know, he's grew up in Ohio. I grew up in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we, we have a ton of co- in common. We enjoy going to lunch together. We enjoy uh, talking about, you know, movies and life and, uh, you know, relationships and all that sort of thing. And I've gotten to know his parents, you know, and, and through that relationship. And I don't have any embarrassment or regret about what what my cooler, elitist, older friends might think about Black Veil Brides. And if anything, I enjoy opening their minds to it. Going like, hey, actually, you should check out this song. Or did you know Bob Rock produced one of their records? Or, you know, uh, Rob Flynn from Machine Head is a good example of somebody who saw the uh, the way Andy handled the hecklers and haters at the revolver golden gods awards a few years ago and was like dude this kid's fucking awesome like this shit's punk rock like good for him and then actually went and checked out their music as a result you know so there's guys like andy uh who i uh unashamedly advocate for with with zero it's not a guilty pleasure at all i like i like the music he makes and i more importantly really love the dude um and then there's you know you mentioned pierce the veil not only do I love all of those guys, I'm 110% down with that band. Um, <laughs> their most recent record was my favorite record of that year. Uh, other than, of course, Metallica, anytime they put out a record that doesn't have Lou Reed on it. Um, uh, I, you know, Pierce the Veil, Misadventures is a record that I absolutely love and adore. And certainly, I wouldn't even be familiar with their music if I wasn't... Um, engage professionally in covering that scene but i'm better for it and i'm happy that i uh was able to wrap my head around what they were doing and, and fall in love with it because I, I would i wouldn't have sought it out otherwise you know i mean the stuff i'm seeking out is more of that you know decibel magazine top 40 albums of the year kind of stuff i mean my you know my personal passions fall in the realm these days of you know black gaze and uh you know neo traditional doom metal and <laughs> that sort of thing you know um and yet absolutely love that pierce the veil record and they're unassailable when it comes to their level of musicianship and the the care and attention and focus they put into their artistry and just what great sweet dudes they are you know so um it's, well I, I mean i like i like the point being that it's like i think a lot of people get stuck in the uh you know notion that you know whatever their you know their <laughs> their salad days so to speak are the only important thing and then you know as you get older then of course it becomes more challenging to pay attention to new music and so of course that stuff sucks or whatever but you know there while something <clears throat> can be completely not made for you uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't illegitimize the fact that it's still art to a 14 year old kid and it doesn't make that any less impactful you know and so yeah. I, I just I, I like the you know the the approach that you take in these because it's like you know at the core of it you're probably you know if you peel away enough layers or or even if you just go one layer deeper then you're going to be seeing that like oh wow this person has a very similar you know experience to me and they're like you know 10 years younger than me or whatever and it's like if you just turn that blind eye you'll never even know Absolutely, man. Well, well said. Well said. And it, and it's, yeah. And it's, uh, my life is that much more enriched by opening myself to up to relationships that 
um, I wouldn't have otherwise. So, and I, you know, and I, I've carved out a career for myself doing things that I enjoy. I mean, no one's, no one's forcing me to go interview black fell brides. I could certainly do something else. Um, you know, I'm choosing to take on some of these assignments and, and, and in some of these cases, like the examples we've discussed, uh, my life is better for it. And I have, uh, new and awesome friends <laughs> and I've, I've had some more cynical people once in a while. And this has happened a couple of times. But some more cynical people say, well, of course you think that guy's cool because you're putting him on the cover of magazines and you're, you're, you know, interviewing him at the Musicians Institute or whatever. Like, that's why you have a good impression of this person because you're getting, you know, they're, they're getting something out of you. And to those kind of friends of mine who have made those kind of comments, I just think, man, what a damning assessment of me like are you like so are you basically saying i'm a moron like i don't have any intuition or perception where i couldn't smell that like i wouldn't be able to see through a fake friend who's i mean come on man (laughs) you know and um i certainly can and have seen through those kind of people and uh all you know all the people we've just discussed none of them fit the bill they're all good dudes yeah no for sure that's that's awesome well, Ryan, I uh, I could obviously talk to you for another like three hours, but um, you know, no, I, th- I think I think we might save the general public for that. We can just do it off air. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Amen. <laughs> well, thanks for doing this, dude. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me, and um, happy to return the favor ASAP. So that that right. Okay, Ryan, thank you very much for appearing on the show. And like I said, he has a bunch of podcasts on his own. Uh, no Prize from God, where he talks about uh, spirituality, religion, uh, mysticism, a bunch of stuff that is all kind of centered around, you know, the belief in something larger than this world. And he also does a Metallica podcast, uh, which is is quite good. And then he also does uh, Pop Curse, which is a deep dive into pop culture. So uh, yeah, you should find that anywhere and everywhere, and follow him on social media, and uh, you'll be uh, you'll be entertained and. Uh, yeah, all that stuff. So thank you very much. And uh, what do I got next week? I have Andrew Klein from Strife, who uh, Strife is just a, a absolutely monumentally important band in my life, and I know many other people's. Um, I had Chad, the bassist, on quite some time ago, and I was like, you know what? I need to talk to Andrew. It's a, He's one of those people that is a, a friend of mine now and a, and a peer in many ways. And so uh, I was just like, hey, Andrew, let's do this. And he was like, all right, perfect, um, because I... Uh, uncharacteristically uh, said that he was not straight edge anymore, which is uh, is not true. He is. Um, this was like on an interview I did on another podcast. And so he jokingly emailed me being like, hey, man, uh, that's uh, that's not true. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And I need to rectify that by having you on my show. <laughs> so that is that. Um, yeah. And you please have a good rest of the week and a safe weekend and whatever else you're doing. Hopefully it's safe. So until then, be safe, everybody. And please, please, please visit my friends at movie.com slash words, and you'll be able to get a 30-day trial. Please, you'll love this service. The movies they have on there are spectacular. All right, talk to you later. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. 
BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. 